What are the best ways for enterprises to harness emerging disruptive new technologies such as AI, blockchain and IoT in order to gain competitive advantage? My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. Based on the digital transformation investment forecasts done earlier in the year by Transformer Insights, companies will be investing over $5 trillion in digital transformation initiatives between now and 2030. Against that background, every company must be tech savvy to an extent never before seen. The unfortunate thing is that businesses have generally been quite bad at adopting new technology. In an earlier podcast, I talked about my book, The Internet of Things Myth, which highlighted some of the failings of implementation. One way to get better at adopting new technology is to learn the lessons of others who have run similar projects. Use lessons from what other companies have done badly or well to educate yourself about how best to address the future opportunity. That was the thinking behind a set of research that we've been doing at Transformer Insights. Our team has been analysing case studies of AI, IoT, robotic process automation, product lifecycle management, distributed ledger and so on, looking at hundreds of different deployment parameters like time to deploy, complexity, vendor choice and all sorts of technology-specific parameters like types of algorithms used in AI. This data can be used either individually or in aggregate to analyse more macro-level trends. Based on that research, on the 30th of July this year, we ran a webinar called Seven Ways to Harness AI, IoT and Other Disruptive Technologies for Competitive Advantage. The replay is still available. Check out the Wireless Noodle website, wirelessnoodle.com, for a link. I want to share with you some of the findings. Firstly, looking at the overall trends and then digging into some, well, seven examples of best practice that come through from the specific case studies. Analyzing the aggregated information across all the case studies brought out some fascinating results. Firstly, companies are largely focusing on low-hanging fruit. Most organizations are hesitant to extend beyond relatively safe deployments, focused solely or predominantly on simple efficiency savings. In our case study assessments, we looked at impact based on three areas. Internal process efficiency, external products, and overall market disruption. Specifically, we gauge the extent to which the project has a significant or transformational impact on process efficiency, i.e. internal processes, value proposition, i.e. external products and services, or the industry as a whole. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, across all the technology groups, the prime impact is on internal processes. Over 70% of projects can be considered to have significant impact on process efficiency. Cost cutting is always the easiest way to realise benefit from a new technology and therefore justify investment. That's particularly true of the applications focused on repetitive processes like robotic process automation, product lifecycle management and autonomous robotic systems. In contrast, less than 30% have significant impact on the organisation's products and services. 
The 3D printing and additive manufacturing category and the AI category all show much greater proportions of impact on products. Additive manufacturing, because it's literally about making products. How, where, and the degree of customization. AI, because to date, it's mostly fed into things like chatbots and supplementing products like video analytics. Barely 10% are potentially disruptive to the industry as a whole. The applications seen as most disruptive to the market as a whole are human-machine interface, largely AR, VR, and robotic process automation again. This reflects the more mature use cases for these technologies. Further supporting the idea that enterprises are playing it safe, only 24% of projects can be categorised as mission-critical. Again, RPA is the outlier, demonstrating what the other technologies might be capable of, giving a year or two more maturing. There, over two-thirds of applications are shown as being mission-critical. RPA has a relatively simple progression from discussion to trial or proof of concept, and then on to deployment. We think other technologies can prove almost as simple if you, as a deploying company, approach them in the correct way. This should encourage a lot more mission-critical use cases. Given the focus on easy wins, it's unsurprising that the emphasis is generally on deployments that are quick to deploy and pay back. On average, projects take 12 months to roll out, and payback is 20 months. There are some outliers. Robotic process automation is substantially slower to deploy, reflecting the fact that it's being used more extensively, and therefore it's less about implementing a pilot or a trial and more about full company-wide deployments. Product lifecycle management is slower to generate a payback, mostly because of the timescales that we're talking about over which it would expect to be paying back. The study also examined three measures of the complexity of implementations. Functional, i.e. how complex the project is. Stakeholder, i.e. the number of internal and external stakeholders in a project. And geographical scale, i.e. how many countries it's deployed in. While some technologies do score high on some ratings of complexity, no single technology family ranked as being complex in more than one category. The implication, of course, is the complexity in one area limits the capacity to accept and deal with complexity in any other. It's also noteworthy there is a close relationship between complexity and impact. Impact of the adoption of these technologies is generally low, with an honourable mention for RPA, reflecting the fact that these are simple deployments focused on incremental change to existing processes. The complexity of rolling out these new technologies is putting adopters off, opting to engage in more transformational projects. Of course, the lion's share of the responsibility for driving out the complexity sits with the vendor community. They've largely come on in leaps and bounds in the last few years, but there is still a lot to do. In the webinar, we identified seven key things that companies who are adopting these new technologies can do to mitigate the complexity that still persists and help adopters get to a productive use of disruptive technologies faster than their peers. In the webinar, for each of these areas, we use real-world examples 
as diverse as a Norwegian dairy farmer using AI, to a Turkish construction company's adoption of drones, to illustrate the point. Here is a summary of the seven key ways to adopt disruptive technologies like IoT and AI for competitive advantage. Number one, have a thorough and systematic approach to horizon scanning. Technical, commercial and regulatory disruption is creating challenges for every sector and you need to be aware of what's coming so you know what's available to harness and what might cause competitive issues. It's critical to not only consider the direct impact of a new technology, but also to give mind to the secondary effects. Don't focus exclusively on the narrow set of technologies that you might use, but think about impact on the wider ecosystem and adjacent spaces. Having a good understanding of what's coming and your competitors' plans will help your decision-making process about what to do with your own product lines. And if you can't do this well yourself, find a partner. Two, have a prioritised list of projects which is constantly updated. You need a structured approach to selecting and prioritising which of the many potential digital transformation projects you may pursue. The opportunities are almost endless. First filter based on viability and then rank based on attractiveness and fit for the business. Next, look at timelines and dependencies. Last and critically, you need to feed back what you learn into the planning process. It's a constantly iterative process. As an example, you may have chosen to implement a particular software platform which might make certain projects more appropriate to pursue. Three, your team structure needs to match the project. Just as projects are diverse, so were the skills needed to implement them. In the webinar, we looked at the difference between a smart farmer use case and a smart meter solution. They need radically different skills. In some cases, it's completely novel and customized deployment and there's a substantial discovery and ideation phase. In others, it's just a functional rollout of a fully formed pre-existing solution. Pick your project team according to the project. Number four, be flexible as you implement. The key characteristic here is agility. During deployment of the specific project, you should constantly feedback into the overarching planning process and make any changes so they're keeping with the overall strategic plan. You do not want the project team to solve their own problems separate from the broader strategy because it risks creating silos of technological development. Five, begin with the operational blockage. Most companies, when trialing and deploying new technology, focus predominantly on the technical issue. This leads to repeated proofs of concept, so-called POC health. More important is to focus on the process you want to change. Also, be sure to consider technical and commercial elements in parallel. Six, keep security at the front of your mind. Security is a problem that's referred to again and again when deploying digital transformation technologies. There are many high-profile examples of failure. You need to consider security from the start of your project and constantly review and iterate. A good example, as quoted in the webinar, was Kepco, the South Korean energy company that contracted with Arm for an end-to-end secure system for smart grid upgrade that included hardware, OS, device management, and associated consulting. You also need to ensure 
you aren't just thinking of security in isolation, but considering the trade-off with commercial factors such as profitability or churn, and with other aspects of trustworthiness, such as reliability or privacy. 7. You need to change many aspects of what you do internally. Slow technology adoption is often due to a lack of consideration of the requirements to make substantial internal change. Any sufficiently important IoT implementation should require you to make changes to business processes, business model, finance, people, partners, systems and culture. It also needs a robust approach to change management. There is a tremendous opportunity associated with adoption of technologies such as AI, IoT, RPA, distributed ledger additive manufacturing, AR, VR and digital twins. But it requires a coordinated approach to identifying technology trends, selecting products, managing implementation and adopting the internal changes required. I now want to have a little rant. Okay, maybe not a rant, but a good-natured and passionate statement of view. There are certain phrases that are used by technology market commentators that are spectacularly banal. You know the type of thing. People buy solutions, not technology, for instance. The popular one going around at the moment is the real challenge with deploying, insert name of technology, is in the commercial and operational changes not in the technology. Literally everyone knows this. If you're ever faced with anyone who says any of these things and then looks like they've imparted a pearl of wisdom, you should run a mile. Anyone thinking for a moment about using IoT or AI will be immediately struck that it's much harder to push through internal operational issues than to buy another box. But that's not my bugbear of the day. It's the ever popular statement, think big, start small, Move fast. Nonsense. Think big is okay, but rather redundant. Anyone can do strategizing. That's not where the battle's won. Ideas are easy. Delivery is hard. As anyone who's ever tried to write a novel will tell you. Move fast is also rather pointless. What would the alternative be? Move slow? Often when I'm writing recommendations for reports, I try to spin it around and think what the opposite recommendation might be. If there effectively is no meaningful opposite, then don't use it. For instance, a recommendation to consider X is generally worthless because the opposite is don't consider X. Who advises people not to consider things? I should say at this point, of course, that I've probably broken that rule on numerous occasions in my reports. My problem isn't with thinking big or moving fast. It's with starting small. If your house was on fire, would you start small by putting out the dog kennel or throwing a couple of pints of water on first to see what happens? Of course not. Put another way, that advice to start small specifically says to consider size or lack of it as a positive gating factor for selecting the projects to pursue. Surely the things to consider are factors like strategic fit, impact, criticality and immediacy of need. These should be the key decision factors. The advice to start small risks organisations specifically pursuing a suboptimal project simply because it meets the criteria of being small. Of course, 
It may be that the quick win projects are small ones. If so, great. But they shouldn't be selected just because they're small. The other big issue with starting small is that you will likely lose the competitive advantage to a rival which has decided to start big. All the more reason to do your horizon scanning effectively, as outlined earlier. That will tell you what you need to do. Whereas the logic behind starting small is to do what you can, rather than necessarily what is necessary. In the webinar, we have some quite substantial advice about project prioritisation and implementation. Simplifying it as think big, start small, move fast, does a disservice to the complexity of decision-making that should prevail. Rant over. A replay of the webinar is available. If you want details, they're on the Wireless Noodle website, wirelessnoodle.com. And the slides are available to download for anyone signing up as a subscriber to Transformer Insights' free essential subscription. Details of that can be found on the transformerinsights.com website. Go to the sign up box at the top right and that'll give you all the details. Final thought. As we were putting together our webinar, we did wonder whether in these days of lockdown, webinar fatigue may have set in. There have been weeks where I could spend every day on virtual conferences and webinars of some sort. Personally, I long for the return of the real, live, in-person events. But I have to say it's not looking good. I don't anticipate travelling for conferences this year, and the first big event of next year, CES, has already been called off. Virtual events are fine, but they have a scarcity problem. In fact, several scarcity problems, but not perhaps in the way you might immediately think. These are down to basic economic issues of low barriers to entry and minimal incremental costs. From the standpoint of a host, there's minimal costs associated with running an event and inviting anyone and everyone. So there are a plethora of events demanding attention. This isn't so bad as attending the events is much easier. I save on travel time, can pick and choose the sessions I attend and so forth. That's fine. The second issue is that attendance being easy removes events as a filter to being a serious participant in a market. For us as analysts, that's quite a big deal. I'll explain. I've had numerous conversations with clients about how they knew we were present in the IoT because we attended all the events. It was a significant cost, but it was worth it, both to be better informed and connected, and also to show face. Finally, the scarcity issue is most prominently illustrated by networking. At a real-life event, if someone chooses to speak to another attendee, they're doing so to the exclusion of others. They have prioritised each other. With virtual events and virtual networking, it's easy to swipe right on every attendee to see who bites. There is little or no time limit and therefore no indication that they actually value an interaction. At a recent virtual conference I attended, I received lots of networking requests. Many of those had explicitly stated why they wanted to chat and had clearly copied and pasted a message to every attendee. As a result, I've ignored it all. If someone really wants to contact me, 
I'm not hard to find on our website or LinkedIn or whatever. Sometimes you need to introduce a little friction to a system, like travel, or needing to do more than just hit send. In next week's podcast, I'll be talking about autonomous robotic systems, including factory robots, drones, and a few other types. It's a rapidly evolving and fascinating field. As part of that, I'll share some of the specific analysis of case studies in that area, as I've done today, across a range of technologies. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com, that's transformer with an A, 